Hey everyone, welcome back to the arena. I'm MD, joined here by Matt, as well as just an awesome guest that uh, I can't wait to get into here. But before we start the conversation, as always, we'll show love and appreciation to those who continue to follow and show the same back. What's up, guys? Got another awesome guest here that I'm very excited to, to introduce you all to. So we've got Lex Mashakis. I think I got the name right. Uh, my fellow, my fellow Greek. Um, <laughs> And uh, she's the founder of Live Big, which is an organization dedicated to helping uh, girls build confidence, resilience, self-leadership skills in, in schools across the U.S. here. Her path has kind of zigzagged from corporate law to sales to teaching at the Kellogg School of Management, and as well as training Fortune 100 executive teams on high-impact habits. Uh, a little bit through her journey, she pursued her passion for helping youth by training as a counselor and specializing in trauma as well as child and adolescent development. And her life's mission is that learning self-care school, learning self-care skills in schools becomes as normal as learning math or science, which I just will say I absolutely love. And I, I, I definitely want to get into that a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, but without further ado, Lex, thank you so much for coming on here. And if you wouldn't yeah. mind, just kind of provide a little bit of background, like who is Lex? Yeah, thank you for having me, Matt and MD. It's, um pleasure to be here and you're talking about such important things so thank you so you've got the the sort of corporate bio I guess um, but maybe I should start at the beginning with how I got into this work personally I had one of those pretty typical teenage experiences of things were hard I was fighting with my family all the time struggling with my mental health trying to figure out my place and at 17 or so my mum bought this book called the princess bitch face syndrome surviving adolescent girls and you can imagine at 17 years old i was just like what are you talking about that's so unfair that's ridiculous and in that moment i just felt completely unseen and insignificant as if all the things that i'd been dealing with were just like a joke to society so that was really the the turning point for me where i was like okay i know that the thing i want to do is support this group of humans who are just trying to get through life as best as they can and who are struggling. And so, you know, you, you sort of read my, my professional background. Um, that mission became clearer and clearer to me the older I got, the more that I got into the world and I could see how much women were really struggling to speak up in the corporate world, to use their voice, dealing with things like people pleasing and being able to say no, all of these things that actually are really hard. And so I got closer and closer to the journey of live big and figuring out how can we reach girls at a younger age where some of these, these messages and um, conditionings in society really start to come through for them. And so I am so lucky to be doing this work every time I'm with a group of girls. They're just grateful to be there. They are amazing. They are open and vulnerable and they want to learn how to live big life. So it's it's the the best work I think that I can be doing. And and like you you touched on with the life mission, I think our society is ready now to get to a place where we can learn these skills around self-regulation and affirming your sense of self and being not just okay with it but proud of it and seeing it as normal so i'm on the journey and it's been great so let's go back to the beginning um you're 17 years old you received a book um explain to us what is the moral of the story in that book and where was the disconnect between that book and where you were at as a 17 year old yeah great question so the book is written for parents and it's written by a very prominent psychologist, Dr. Michael Carr Gregg in Australia. And I think he actually addresses this in, in the book somewhere. I think he calls out, like he was looking for a title that he felt captured what it felt like to be a parent of a teenage girl and also stood out. So my mum resonated with it. And I don't think Dr. Carr Gregg intended for the teenage girl to necessarily see it and read it, but I did and it felt to me at that time, and it still feels now, honestly, that so long as we see teenage girls as wrong and like psycho, quote unquote, and irrational, we're never going to be able to have empathy for what they're going through, which is, 
you know, significant developmental changes. They are actually developmentally required to be pushing boundaries, talking back, moving away from the family unit. That's actually a part of what's normal. And that's true for teenage boys too, though of course for now I'm focused on adolescent girls. And so I actually started at 17 years old writing a book in response, which I called Dealing with Mother, a survival guide for teenage girls, which was like the girl's perspective of what's going on in that time period. And I feel obligated to tell you my mum and I are very close and she actually loves it and she still asks me, you know, when are you going to publish it? But the disconnect for me, MD, to your question was it was written for the parent about the girl. I needed something written for the girl about the girl and also some of the key relationship dynamics in her life, which for me at that time was my mother. You mentioned, uh, Lex, at one point that in, in when you were talking about your journey that you didn't feel seen um, yeah. and maybe heard. Like, how can how can we as young adults and just how can we in general help people make make them feel seen and heard in their lives? Yeah. From a trauma lens, there is a philosophy that I've learned to embrace in everything I do, both in Live Big, but just in life in general, which is that all behavior was once adaptive. And by that, I mean every single person's behavior that you see was once behavior that they used to help them survive. And I say survive in air quotes because sometimes that literally means survival. Other times it just means fitting in and receiving love and receiving attention. So when you apply that to, let's say, a classroom, you might see a kid who won't sit still in class and won't listen to the teacher. And it's very easy to say that kid doesn't want to be here, that kid is naughty, um, and to just dismiss that kid. But actually that restless behavior, that inability to sit still probably comes from a place of sitting still was once unsafe. And when you start to see through that lens of what that person is doing is actually behavior that they've learned that they need to do to keep them alive, you start to take away some of the layers that we have in front of how we see kids and to be open to who they really are and what they really need. And I think if someone had come to me at that age and seen my misbehavior, you know, making poor relationship choices, doing things on the weekend that I shouldn't have been doing, all of that sort of stuff, if, if that was seen as Lex is struggling and this is actually a cry for help, and she doesn't know who she is and how to fit into this world, let's help her rather than Lex is misbehaving, then I think I would have felt like I had a bit more space to ask for help and to open up and to be vulnerable and to know that it was okay to struggle, but I didn't have that. So at what point in your life do you make that distinction for yourself or did somebody help you make that distinction because that's a very mature outlook for a 17 year old to in some ways double down or dig your heels in of like no i'm right like my <clears throat> misbehavior so to speak is natural or um is you know warranting at least a very different response than what i'm getting at what point in your life do you do you realize that is that right away and how did you come to that conclusion so fast i had an instinct of it at 17. I don't think I could have articulated it, but I, I knew that something was off and it couldn't just be me. Um, and my parents were wonderful, both of them. I've you know, talked about my mum here, but she also taught me a lot around like empathizing and thinking inward and trying to understand what's going on. And so I had some of those skills at 17, but it was definitely throughout my twenties where I started to learn more, to study more, to have more of these sorts of conversations. Um, that I was able to actually look back and understand what was going on for me in that moment. I couldn't have articulated it then, but I did have a sense of this doesn't feel right. And so for, you know, our audience that listens and maybe there's, you know, a teenage girl out there that could use your perspective, you talked about you were struggling with your mental health mm -hmm. in what way and, um, you know, speak to just kind of what you were going through, what you were struggling with. Um, how can somebody out there relate to you? Um, yeah, so just, just provide a little bit more background on what exactly you were struggling with at that age. Yeah. If I had to categorize it or to, to really put a theme around it, it was just finding my place. What was my sense of belonging? 
in my social community in particular, although my family as well. My family, my parents divorced when I was 13. So it was it was a pretty great divorce as far as divorces go, but it definitely still rocks you because suddenly home looks different. Um, your family unit looks different. So I had some of that instability at home. But for me, I think the biggest challenge was how do I fit in socially? What does my friendship group look like? I had some tough experiences happen with with friends and a boyfriend who was really the world's worst boyfriend. He um, decided to, well, he was going through his own stuff. He made some really poor choices for himself that impacted me. And every time he made one of those choices, it felt like it was my fault and I didn't belong and I was wrong because of it. And so when you have those sorts of feelings, you feel low, you feel down. We have word for that now that's more accessible being you feel depressed it wasn't really a language that I had at that time I think even in the short space since I was a teenager I'm now in my early 30s I think we've come a long way in being able to put labels to things um so it was that feeling of where do I belong and where can I be accepted and how can I be okay with who I am as a person irrespective of the people around me so Lex, I'm curious because I think to myself when I was a teenager, if someone were to come to me and talk to me about my mental health, uh, stuff like that, that required me to be vulnerable with myself and vulnerable with others, I would have, I would have dismissed it before, no matter how reputable the person that was talking to me. So I'm just, I'm, I'm curious, like, how are you able to connect with, with teenagers like that demographic? Like, how do you connect with them? Yeah, we've designed our programs specifically to do that. So you heard in my story that I felt unseen. So really important to us as we were growing Live Big and developing these programs was making sure that teenagers felt these programs are made for me and they feel accessible. So a couple of ways we do that. There is the language that we use. So there is a lot of jargon, I guess, in psychology and these different modalities that therapists use we very deliberately created a language that was free of jargon that felt really accessible. We use our stories a lot. So I have gone through all my teenage memories and dug out the toughest ones as a way to offer them up to help girls consider these concepts and to apply these skills to someone else's story because it can be hard to apply them to your own and then to go first which is a philosophy of ours. We go first, we share our own stories to say, it's okay if you've had tough stuff happen. It's okay if you're not feeling great right now. Here is how I was feeling at your age. Maybe it relates to you, maybe it doesn't, but let's learn the skills to get us through this period in our own way so that when things do come up, we're better equipped to actually deal with it. And by providing that freedom to engage in a couple of different ways and on their own terms, what we see is girls more and more are raising their hand and wanting to share and wanting to interact. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think it's, I think it's, I think that's a great way to do it because in terms of leading with vulnerability yourself, because what I've noticed in my life is people are entirely more willing to open up to me after I've done it first. And I've, I've, laid myself out to them and so i think that's I, i'm not surprised you've had success with that method yeah my, my first thought is that the, le- the the method itself is just leadership it's i'm going to go first and um it actually brings me back to a memory um i haven't been in a classroom of teenagers since i was a teenager myself and i actually was recently at one voluntarily um, and you know, there's like the group of boys that are class clowning. There's got a ton of energy, just acting a little bit against what, you know, you're supposed to be in a classroom. And there's always like these phrases that the teachers are using to get them to quiet down, to get them to be like less energetic. And, you know, I really wanted to take a different approach to get their attention when I was speaking. And so the first thing I did was I talked to them about how I was a class clown in school and there is a ton of energy and like that can be channeled and be a positive thing that tended to be, as I reflect back more amongst the boys in the class for me, mm-hmm. when I think about girls and, you know, feeling unseen or shy or less vocal, 
that totally resonates. I look back and yeah, there were a lot of girls that probably could have contributed and added to the classroom much more than the loudest people in the room. You know, help impart on us, like what is that girl going through? Um, or what does that like, what is the stigma or what is blocking girls from being able to be more vocal? Mm. Well, you ask a big question, um, but a, a good question and a really important question. And it's, it's this very subtle social conditioning around what a woman's place in the world is. And you've probably heard examples of like, oh, she's such a good girl or she looks so pretty or girls have this sense of like, I have to be perfect because to be wrong is to be scary. Whereas boys tend to hear slightly different messaging around be brave, be tough, be the loudest, be the strongest. And that definitely comes with its own set of mental health implications. I was, I was going to say yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think I, Andy, I shared this with you. We are an organization now focused on adolescent girls, but we're building out our boys curriculum because we know boys need as much help. It's just the manifestation of behavior in society looks a little bit different. So for girls, it can feel more scary to be loud and to risk being wrong. For boys, it can also feel scary to express emotion. And those are like obviously very big generalizations and you always, always have exceptions to this. so we're careful with how we apply that too. But MD, as you're pointing out, the girls are typically the ones that are afraid of not being perfect. And so they keep quiet because they don't want to risk being wrong. Let's talk about the long-term risks of, you know, what that can then consequate into. Um, I don't even know if that's a word, but, you know, for guys <laughs> who uh, um, don't address their emotions properly, well then later in life, they act out with more rage. They've got more bottled up temperament. Uh, They might actually commit, you know, physical violence. Um, They might develop more addictive behaviors. You know, for a girl who is shy in the classroom and never finds her footing, um, what are the long-term effects? What does that look like for a girl? Speaking obviously to a guy who wouldn't know. Yeah. In the near term, let's say they've gone to college, they've done really well in terms of their grades, they get into a great role. And you've seen this because I know you've worked with a lot of, you know, entry level um, people on your team. With the young women that I worked with in my career in a management capacity, a lot of them felt afraid to speak up in a meeting if they had an opinion because they were too scared of that opinion being wrong or if they were being treated inappropriately, either because someone was being rude or they were given work that they didn't actually have to do per their work purview or whatever it was, they'd have a really hard time saying no. And then let's say fast forward a few years, it's promotion season. Girls are gonna be more less likely, I should say, to raise their hand and say, you know what, I've earned a promotion and I wanna advocate for an increase in my salary as well. I had a mentor early in my career who was a white male and he had to really help me get over this idea of like, ask for more. It's okay to ask for more. And he would literally say, look, Lex, here's what I would ask for in your situation. It's a lot more than what you would ask for, but why don't you try it? Because I'm telling you, that's what a lot of the men at your level are asking for as well. And so you see the consequences in salary and how high women go on the corporate ladder. And we see that in corporate America. Um, you see it when it comes time to, you know, if women decide to raise their family, what does that mean for them with where they're at in their career at that moment? Are they going to be able to say, yes, I want that promotion and I'm planning on having kids next year and I can do both and that's okay. Or are they going to take themselves out of the game early because they're afraid of being rejected? So not only are these like big consequences, but they compound. You know, if I had asked for more money straight out of college, I probably would have been earning more 10 years later than what I was, but I was too afraid to ask for it. And I was too afraid to be seen as someone who was asking for something they didn't deserve. It, it, no, it's, it, it's interesting because I was actually talking to someone very recently about this, a woman, and she finally, she said she struggled her entire career with with that very thing that you were just talking about in terms of salary. And she always felt that she was worth more, uh, but just felt so 
there's just a lot of fear to ask for it. And this year she finally did it. And her board was like, we, I'm not going to say the name, but we've always thought you were worth more, but this is what you've asked for. So of course we're going to, yeah, we said, yes. Um, we think you're worth a lot more than that. And then I also tie it back to in a little bit different scenario. Uh, my, my mom who is extremely successful in, in a field dominated by men and as a, as a, as a man, like I had never thought about some of the, the challenges yeah. that until she brought the, that come with that until she brought them up to me. Um, and then on the flip side, I talk, think about my sister who is also in, uh, in, in corporate banking in finance. And my mom's mentality is, is more so like you are in the minority. Like you can, you not only can you ask for more, like you can go wherever you want. Like if you're not happy at this company, you're going to have a place at this company because you're very smart and you're, you're in, you're a female in a male dominated industry. So like your opportunities are endless. So I thought that was just an interesting perspective of looking at it as well. But as you were saying that, I'm just thinking through all these different scenarios in my head that have played out that I've seen like happen in my life very recently. Yeah. There are so many of them and it's amazing for your sister to have a role model in that. Because a lot of people don't have a role model in how to ask for more, how to advocate for themselves. And, you know, finance is a great example. It is an industry that is finally opening up to the fact that you need diversity in a team just to make good decisions. You know, whenever you're making big decisions in life, you have to have diversity in the room. Um, and I'm sure your sister is talented and wherever she chooses to go, she's earned her place to be there regardless of whether or not she's a woman, but because she's great at what she does. And, and I think that's really important too. Um, you know, you always want to hire the right person for the job, choose the right person for the thing to be done. What's crucial from a hiring perspective, and maybe I'm going off track a little bit, but what's crucial from a hiring perspective is you are able to check your biases and really be good at evaluating for the skills, not just thinking, okay, Who's going to fit into the team that we have now? Because that's where it becomes a perpetuating issue. And MD, I know you do a lot of hiring in your role. It's about how can you evaluate for skill set and remove some of the biases? Yeah, you know, I just a question for you, Lex, and I'll ask the question up front and then explain some context around it. But the question is, what makes you such an outlier? Um, <clears throat> you know, I'll consider you an outlier. Um, and you know, I view you and you've been a mentor of mine. I've quite literally backfilled your job at one point in life. Um, but you moved from Australia to the United States. You alone for the most part, and your family is still in Australia. You've um, always in my eyes since I've known you and I've known you, you know, I, I caught you in your late twenties and you've been a manager, a leader, you've been confident, you've had conviction, you've had a passion for developing people. Um, where did all that come from for you? The passion for developing people has always been there. It is the thing that I love to do more than anything. I was in the legal industry, as you know, I was in business development. My team had an amazing impact. All that was awesome, but it was watching people on my team move into the roles that were great fit for them or to see them step up and challenge someone when they needed to be challenged to see them go from being you know like an entry-level salesperson to having their own book and killing it that sense of this person can thrive and i get to play a role in helping them figure out how to do that that's always been the thing that lights me up always when you say always though Lex I want to ask you because I've only I think I share a similar similar mindset now but that only came after my personal journey so like once I was able to um, improve my mental health and 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 get through what I needed to get through and grow myself did I now want to help that for other people because I had seen I now know what it feels like to live um, with one mindset and live one way. And I also know what it feels like to struggle and yeah. to live in like a fixed mindset. So when you say like, you've always had that passion, did it come from your own kind of, 
you had mentioned you struggled with your mental health and obviously kind of worked through it. Is that where you think it maybe stemmed from? Because I know for me personally, like I have not always had a passion for developing people and wanting to help people. It's really come since I've really worked on myself. Mm. I think, yes, because I've had some of those challenges, I've had that sense of how do I fit in here? What do I do? Um, and I've always had amazing role models in my life and I could see the impact that they they had on me um, my entire life, like even from my childhood. I think that's a part of it. I wanted to give back to others what had been given to me. And because that came first, MD, to your point earlier around the conviction and the leadership and where did that come from? I think it came from working through some of those challenges and seeing my strength in supporting other people gave me strength for myself. Does that make sense? It was like mm -hmm. when I saw what I could help people achieve, it was like, oh, I can help myself achieve that too. And maybe that seems a little bit backwards, but when I think about that period of my life, I always felt more conviction when I was advocating for someone else than when I was advocating for myself. I would go to bat for my team any day. I would be able to, I could take on the CEO if it was for the good of my team didn't have to, but I could, but if it was for me, I would have struggled. So I think it was the leadership and the conviction and the strength came from being able to help others do the same. And then realizing why can't I apply this to myself too? You, um, so, you know, the, the journey is never a straight line either, you know, and yeah. you've, um, have done pretty big things, pun intended with live big. Um, just curious, you know, has there been doubt? Um, what are the setbacks in your life? Like, what do those look like for people who evaluate your story? They get a snapshot of kind of the forward progress where you've gone in life and all of what you've built. But what they don't see is that along that journey, there will always be setbacks, maybe not tangibly or physically, but maybe even mentally, maybe there's doubt, maybe there's a sense of quitting or a sense of um, wanting to stay within comfort zone when really a lot of your progress is probably you stepping out and breaking through into new comfort zones or breaking out of comfort zones. Um, you know, for somebody who has the lacks in them, right? And maybe they fear what those setbacks could feel like, speak openly about what those are and um, how you handle those. Yeah, on that, like, do you ever get imposter syndrome? You know, to, to MD's point, you know, you, you were in one corporate field and you transitioned and started your own your totally different thing like does that ever set in as well every single day <laughs> every day and so the big philosophy in live big is about you get to choose for yourself at any moment what you need to create to live your big life so I want to I want to talk about that philosophy because it's the best way to answer your question. Living big means at any point I can choose to connect to myself, to create what I need, and we focus on confidence, resilience, and self leadership, so that we can be who we want to be. That is always a choice. It is not an amount. It is not a fancy life. It is not having the most friends or the most followers or anything like that. It's always what do I choose for myself in this moment. And so I think back to 17 year old me where I got really clear on my North Star. I knew at 17 years old, I wanted to figure out a way to support adolescent girls. It took me 13 years to get to a place where I could actually start live big. So along the way, there was constant, do I do this? Should I study this thing? You know, I trained as a counselor, I trained in trauma and child and adolescent development because I knew what my North Star was but I wasn't quite sure exactly how to figure it out yet. And then I got to a point in my life where I thought, okay, I've done all this training. I've developed skills in facilitation, in building curriculum, in leading people, in selling, which is a really important part of being an entrepreneur. So why don't I combine all these things and turn it into programming for adolescent girls? And so there were choices along the way that I made throughout my life that had the North Star of what I wanted to do in mind, even if it wasn't really clear. So if there was somebody listening and thinking, okay, I think I wanna support this group of people or I wanna do this sort of work, I'd say, okay, get really clear on your North Star and figure out you know, when you're faced with a choice, what's going to help me achieve that North Star or not? 
And it doesn't mean you have to quit your job and start your dream company right away. It took me a really long time to get there, but I was really clear on everything I was doing would one day be helpful to me. So I pose that question to girls. I pose that question to everyone in my life. What can you choose for yourself right now that'll help you get to where you're trying to go? And sometimes that just means I'm exhausted. I need to spend a day in bed on Netflix, not talking to anyone. That is living big if that's a choice for you that you need. Other times it's, you know what? I want to learn this new skill set. Never done it before. I'm terrified, but I'm going to choose to step out of my comfort zone into my growth zone. And I'm going to choose to be vulnerable there. And it's not going to feel great, but that's okay because it's in service of my greater purpose. And that's a scary and hard feeling, but I think getting out of your comfort zone, especially, you know, in your twenties or your twenties is there for really, if you're too comfortable in your twenties, you probably stretch yourself a little bit more. Um, So learning the skills to actually step out of your comfort zone and grow and try something new and knowing that it's in service of your North star, even if you can't see the perfect vision, the end goal of it yet, that's okay. That's good. How do you balance that with the fact that maybe a teenager um, without a fully developed brain, without a, n- a number of life experiences, they're already starting to form a North Star in their mind and it might seem a little, I don't know, out of left field or a little dreamy. And how do you balance, you know, pushing somebody to strive for their vision with also helping them understand maybe some of the realistic nuances and obstacles of the real world and, um, or do you at all balance that? Lex, I gotta say, I, real quick, you, you just motivated me. I, I got, I have improv yeah. here in an hour and a half and <laughs> I always still get a little nervous. And yeah. when you said, you know, if we're not getting out of our comfort zone in our twenties, like we can probably stretch ourselves. And I think that's exactly what I need to hear. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Myself too. I, I get it. It's hard. Um, MD to your question around, do you think about the challenges that come with those big lofty dreams? Yes. You think about them for sure. And take any famous person or any person that has done something really extraordinary in the world. It wouldn't have been a safe and easy thing to do. It wouldn't have been. They would have had to make sacrifices. They took on a huge amount of risk. Think about, I don't know, a struggling actor. Actually, Lady Gaga is a really interesting example. She had to make so many sacrifices and she was mocked and bullied and she did everything that she could to put herself in a position of being recognized for her talent. And eventually she was, and she has the amazing, incredible career that she has. If someone had told Lady Gaga, you can't do this when she was a teenager, then she wouldn't be the person that she is today. So my perspective is is if someone has a dream and they are committed to seeing it out and they're okay with the journey to get there, hell yeah, let's push them to do that. It might not work, but I don't think you've ever failed if you've tried and if you've bet on yourself. How do you um, instill that, especially with social media nowadays and TikTok? You know, there's so many what are perceived as like overnight successes. How are you able to stress the importance of the journey and like the fact that for 99% of people that get to the, you know, get to the place of their, their North Star, um, how do you stress the importance of the hard work that it normally, in most cases, takes to get there? We talk about it more. I think as a society, we need to talk about it more. And I think we need to make failure okay. And I air quotes here for anyone who's just listening. Um, there's a lot of cliches around failure is the opportunity to learn and there's no such thing as failure, only growth. I do believe in that. I think it's just really hard sometimes to talk about that and to make that okay in your conversations, especially if you've taken a big risk in doing something. 
So I think we need to have more conversations with each other around, hey, what are you trying to do? And how is it hard? How is it not working right now? Is there anything I can do to help you so that we can start to support each other less for the results and more for the journey and what it takes to get there? There's amazing research from uh, Carol Dweck on mindsets. Have you read Carol Dweck's work? I've heard, I've heard of her. I haven't read her work, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with her. She talks a lot about the importance of focusing less on praising people and kids in particular for the results and the outcome, more on praising them for the effort that they put in. And when we do that more and more, we see those are the kids and the people that are able to develop a sense of grit and perseverance and determination because they put their emphasis on their effort and the journey to get there. And they are less focused on the results they got coming out of it. So I'd love to see more of that. I am so motivated by the clients that we work with who are trying something different with Live Big. This is a different sort of curriculum. It is focused on skill building in self-regulation, in developing and strengthening a sense of self. And I love that because this isn't a part of school typically. It's not really something that's common to learn in school, but we're starting to see more of an openness to learning these skills. And when you can learn these sorts of skills that can help you be present, that can help you check in with yourself, that can help you get to a place of calm and regulation, it gives you what you need to move through those challenges so that sensations of anxiety or tough days or people telling you you can't do something, but you really want to do it so that those things don't get the best of you. Lux, I want to go back to the word sacrifice um, and its role in, in the journey of people achieving their dreams. You know, I made one small lifestyle change and I gave up alcohol and that mm -hmm. came with just a list of sacrifices, right? So I can only imagine when you speak into the scheme of the grand scheme of achieving a dream and let's just take any adolescent girl then becoming a founder, CEO, owner of a business, um, that's perhaps a, a big dream for a great many people. Um, and we can speak to just women in particular. And I think there's a timeliness around now in society, we should start to talk about that dream for girls. Um, mm -hmm. and it's probably overdue to be honest with, you know, um, let's just be really transparent under the hood from your perspective. Like what are the sacrifices you've had to make? And I say this from a place of like, Let's just have preparation. Let's have our expectations properly managed. When Lex goes and achieves, let's say, a dream of becoming a woman founder, what are the sacrifices you've had to make emotionally, physically, tangibly, or otherwise? I love that you're calling this out. In a, in a workshop recently, Brie, my, my business partner and I, were doing the intro and one of the girls raised her hand. She was like, wait, so are you the bosses? And we were like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're the bosses. And she was like, oh, that's so cool. And even for us, we were like, thank you. This feels good to say. Like we hadn't actually appreciated that like, yeah, we've started this thing and we're doing this work and it feels amazing. And she clearly appreciated that too. So yes, we do need to talk about it more. We need more examples of it. And so, so many sacrifices. You know, the obvious one honestly is a full-time salary. We are self-funded, we're bootstrapping this thing. Anything that comes in, we're putting back into the business to grow it so that we can travel more and volunteer our time and reach more girls. We've sacrificed right now financial freedom. And I'm very privileged to be in a position to do that. Let me make that clear. Like there is a lot of luck that goes into being able to say, I can forego a full-time salary right now to make this work. But I have, and it's meant that I've cut back on a lot of the things that I love to do. And it feels like a sacrifice. And there are definitely days where it's like, yeah, I want to buy that thing, but I can't buy that thing right now because all of my time, my energy is, is going into supporting Live Big. So that's a sacrifice. A sense of, how do I frame this? That feeling when you have done your job and you know what you're doing and you're like, yeah, I know how to do this thing. You know that feeling where you're like, you're in a rhythm and it feels good because you know how to do the job you're meant to do. I've sacrificed that for sure. Because when you're starting a business, everything you do is the first time. And you never have someone telling you, yes, you're doing that thing right or no, you're not doing that thing at all. And so 
whenever I do anything, honestly, it's like, I think this is right. I'm, this feels right to me. I'm going to do it. But it means I'm constantly in that mindset of onboarding, really, of I'm constantly learning a new job. So I, I do honestly miss that feeling of there is a word and it's not coming to me, but that feeling of like, yeah, I know what I'm doing and it feels good. Comfort? Comfort. We can use comfort. But that's it also will... exciting, right, Lex? Like for you, is it not is it not exciting like trying new things for the first time and like figuring it out? Like I think even starting this podcast, you know, we, yeah. we've had shows where we've recorded the whole show and then we find out that someone's <laughs> muted. And so it just it's scrapped. <laughs> you know, like we we've had all sorts yeah. of quote unquote failures, but to me yeah. I think that's just a way to grow, and I, I, for me, it's exciting. And I, and I do, to your point, it is there. There, it, there is a point component of it that is also a sacrifice. Which, which is why I went with the word comfort, because yeah. when you sacrifice comfort, well, then you're going into discomfort, and hence growing. So every experience you're undertaking among the sacrifices, essentially, is just your growth journey. Yeah, there is definitely excitement in it, Matt. Um, but it's like what we were talking about earlier. It's always mixed in with that fear and hesitation. Yeah. And I'm making a choice to be okay with that fear and hesitation and to move forward in spite of it. Something that I'm working on is taking more time to pause and celebrate the wins. You know, we've, we've had a pretty amazing first year and we're super grateful for it. Um, but also we know that we worked really hard for it. And so taking a bit more time to acknowledge that excitement piece of it and to celebrate it, it's been important, but it's icky. It's a lot of icky and uncertainty and risk and pressure, but it feels good at the end of the day. So those are some big things. There is sacrificing time. You know, there is, there are times when I just want to like sit on the couch and watch a movie, but we are building out a new curriculum. And so instead I am like at my desk going through work. Now I will say I've done a really good job of taking care of myself through this. I'm not like grinding 14 hours a day, you know, that, that sort of stereotypical founder. That's what I was going to ask you right when you said that is like, how are you able to then balance really pursuing your dream in, in founding your dream business with also self care and not working around the clock? I've learned to listen to my body and what it needs. And I've learned to ride the waves is how I'd put it. So there are days where I'm just boundless energy. I've got heaps of meetings on the calendar. I'm feeling really good about it. I'm excited. I'll do it all. It's a big day. But the next day I might be like, I'm, I'm tired. Like I, I need some chill time. I need some me time and I'll give myself permission to do that. And that's hard because I think you hear a lot in society around like, well, if you're pursuing your dream and you're a founder, you should be working constantly. But the thing is, first and foremost, I need to practice what I preach and I need to be open with girls and to share my own stories. And I can't be a role model for what we're helping girls embrace if I am working myself down and I am burnt out and I am struggling myself. Not to say I don't have down days, I do, but I'm very careful about taking care of myself. But there is still a sacrifice in time and flexibility, for sure. I'm very careful about taking care of myself. That's a, that's a quote in of its own, Lex. Um, what, is your, what is your self-care routine? Just curious. Like, what do you do when it's a day for you to work on yourself? Ooh. I sit down and I'm like, okay, what are the things that I just want to do today? What are the things that I love to do? And things that come up are normally some sort of like activity, like a hike or a run. Um, I love a spa day. I will not say no to a spa day if I can make it happen. I love to just have a coffee and to sit at the park and watch people walk by and just be present and in the sunshine, ideally. I love to do those things. I have just started a daily journaling practice and I'm talking like one weekend. So, you know, next chat I'll, I'll be sure to Stick tell you. Stick with it, Lex. But I think I am. I, so I've, I've worked that into my day um, and it feels really good to just get some thoughts onto paper and I do that sitting at my favorite coffee shop in the morning drinking coffee. That's been really helpful for me. Food, you know, cooking for myself, nourishing for myself. Nourishing myself is really important for me. Um, 
I'm not so into Uber Eats or Grubhub or whatever. Like I, I know there's that stereotypical like, oh, it's 8 p.m. Let's just quickly order some food and then you're eating like cheap takeout at 9 p.m. But I've, I've like planned when I'm going to cook and what I'm going to eat and I, I'm very clear on doing that because if I'm not feeling good in my body, I, I struggle to feel good in my mind as well. Um, and then just making moments for fun and for joy and friends, whatever that looks like. You know, I went recently on a girl's trip to Long Beach and we rented jet skis to Catalina Island and spent the day on jet skis, jet skiing alongside dolphins. Like that was self-care in that it was fun and I loved it and it felt so freeing. So find the fun is the shortest shortest answer to that question. Find what's fun for you and do it. I have one maybe final question for you, Lex. Um... You know, today's Lex that's on a jet ski, um, I just, I don't know why I pictured you like throwing up a middle finger next to the dolphins, um, but- Definitely no middle finger at the dolphins. I, I'm kidding. No, not at the dolphins, just with the dolphins. <laughs> um, but, you know, just curious, in terms of how you've evolved from that 17 year old that received a gift, uh, we'll call it a gift, that book, um, what's yeah. something that you would tell that Lex um, about, you know, I guess to prepare for today's Lex? You got this. You got this in in the little moments of like studying for an exam and the big moments of taking on my first job of, you know, moving to New York without knowing anyone to all of the crazy, amazing things that I've done. I think my motto, if you will, and the thing that I always want to tell all kids and girls and that I wish I'd heard for myself is it's going to be okay. You've got this. I got one more question for you, Lex, because we've talked a lot about, you know, going towards that North star and making decisions based on that North star and what aligns with what's going to get you there. But for people, whether it's, whether it's a teenage girl, a teenage guy, or uh, myself, or, you know, I think, or a 50 year old, I think there's, there's people today that, like it's never too late to start. So I guess my question is, how do you, how would you tell people, help them identify that North Star? Like how can we better connect with ourselves? Because I think, you know, for a period of my life, it was like, well, I know what I don't want to be doing, but I don't really know what I want to be ultimately doing. Hmm. I think there are millions of those people out there. And to those people, I would say, firstly, it's okay. It's okay if you're not sure yet. Take the pressure off yourself because putting pressure on yourself is not going to help you figure out anything. And it's certainly not going to help you have the mental space and clarity that you need to go within and to figure that out. So firstly, be kind to yourself. Acknowledge you're in a place of exploration and you need to be kind to yourself to figure out what that is. I would say, see if you can get some space and maybe in an ideal world that's being able to go away for a few days or a few weeks and to maybe be alone and to take social media out of your life and give yourself the mental space to have things come to you. I think we jam pack our days and our schedules and we're constantly receiving information from the outside world. And that makes it hard to have moments of clarity around who we are and what we want. So create that space. And then I would say, what do you gravitate towards? A question that I love is if you were in a bookstore and you were in either the fiction or the nonfiction section, where would you go? Like, what would you want to read about or learn about? What would your pull be? And whatever book it is that you would pick up and decide that you want to take home and read more of, that's actually a clue into what sparks you and what interests you. So where do you feel yourself being drawn when you have the time and the ability to, to dedicate yourself to something else? So I don't think you have to have it all figured out, but maybe you notice like, okay, I am interested in how the brain works or I love being creative or whatever it is, just, just follow it. And you don't have to get the full answer. You don't have to be all the way there, but just, Follow where you seem to be finding joy and where your attention seems to be drawn to. Pursue it and see what unfolds for you. 
Well, Lex, I can't tell if I got chills because I'm just cold in, down here or if because that was such a great answer, but I, I would highly recommend everyone re-listen to that because I could already start to apply that to my life and how my life's shaped out. Uh, uh, well, I feel, first, like, I feel like I'd walk out with like four books, which would defeat the purpose. But well, I know I would start. I would start in the nonfiction section immediately. Like I know I'd start there. Um, yeah. But first of all, thank you so much for coming on and for being open with your story and how you're kind of trying to change the world and make it a better place. We've got three rapid fire questions for you to wrap this up. Uh, the first one is, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Or, like, what is your favorite quote? could be either or. Bet on yourself. Bet on yourself. All right, next. If you could have dinner with anyone in the world, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I love Bozema St. John. I would love to have dinner with Bozema St. John. And for um, those of us who don't know who that is. She is an amazing, badass woman who became quite known as a marketing leader at Pepsi, then at Apple, then she went to, she's been at Netflix. She's been the head of marketing in lots of big corporations. But more than that, she is someone who has an amazing story, who's done a lot of work helping all people, but women in particular, feel like badasses. That's that's, I think her workshop's called like that the badass workshop or something like that. Um, she's someone with an incredibly powerful story who's experienced so much trauma and grief and suffering. And she is just this vibrant, amazing human who speaks a lot about what women are capable of. And, um, she is like the epitome of being who you are. So she's the first person that comes to mind for me. Lastly, and you kind of already answered this with your self-care, uh, but like, what, what do you like to do in your free time, hobbies? I play bass guitar. That's the number one one. So I picked it up in COVID. I've had lessons for a few years now and I recently joined a band. And I don't know that anyone will be paying to listen to us anytime soon, but we're getting there. It feels really good. So yeah, I, You have I, to start somewhere. you got to start somewhere. Is yeah, there... Is there like a um, a relationship with music that you've developed more recently, or why did you pick it up so so late? I actually did try and pick it up in high school. I did pick it up in high school, and then honestly, I wasn't great at it, and then I put it back down, and I just sort of did the bare minimum that I needed to do in high school to be a part of like my high school band, but I didn't take it seriously, and then I started taking it seriously as an adult. Um, I now appreciate music for the the role that it can play in healing and connection. Like you hear good music, it doesn't matter where you're from in the world, you'll dance, you'll move. Music is such a connector for us. And there's, there's actually a lot of research behind how it can help people heal um, in the rhythm, in the, I don't know, music theory is like this entire language and world that I'm trying to understand. Um, but music is healing and it's a connector. Thanks again, Lex. We're going to set off here. We really appreciate it. Thank you.